Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Hope Life Podcast, a podcast that allows you to hear the hearts of Hope Church pastors and leaders through real conversations about life, ministry, vision, and goals, or some of the exciting ways that God is working through their specific ministry or congregation. This is a great resource for our church family, and we're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to today's episode. Hopefully, we will all leave today's conversation more inspired to passionately follow Jesus and make Him visible as together we live the hope life. Hey there, Hope family. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, This is your host, David Velasquez, and uh, I'm so excited to bring to you today a sermon uh, from Pastor Nathan Cravat. Now, last week we had an interview with uh, Pastor Nathan, who is currently planting uh, the Hope Church in Asheville. They are brand new over there, and I know he's doing a great job serving God over there. And so, of course, we wanted to bring a sermon this week. Now, of course, it's the end of the year, and a lot of the time, We do a lot of reflecting, a lot of giving thanks. It is the season to give and to be thankful, and uh, that's exactly what we will be uh, listening to today. Uh, So we're going to join Nathan as he goes through uh, the book of Thessalonians and specifically uh, the admonition from Paul the Apostle to give thanks. Uh, So I hope you'll join us, open up your hearts, open up the Word, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Let's open our Bibles together, the First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. So I've spent 11 weeks teaching through um, a very short book of the Bible, five short chapters, the book of First John. Spent 11, 11 weeks teaching through First John. This morning, I'm going to teach through one single verse. <laughs> and trust me. There's enough here that I could preach 11 weeks on this one verse. I'm not going to, I don't think, but uh, there is enough here. And God has challenged my heart with this. And I just want to speak on the simple topic of give thanks, give thanks. And at this time of year, we usually pause to think of all the things that we're grateful for and thankful for. But I want to take this one verse this morning and challenge our hearts to think through everything that we have to give thanks for. So let's read together verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. One more time. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So as we set out to think through this verse and the profound truth that is in these verses or in this one verse and the ones around it, I want us to look back at the context of this verse because normally I teach through a book of the Bible and you're able to set the context and understand why he's saying these words. And it's important not to just pull verses out of context. So I want us to step back and look at the context of this verse in the setting of this chapter, in this book. And when we think about the context, I believe that this, uh, theologians believe that this may be Paul's very first letter, which is interesting because we know that he he writes 12 or 13 letters depending upon uh, whether or not he wrote the book of Hebrews, which many people think he did. 
But if this was his first letter, it's, it's amazing thinking through the depth of love that he has for the church that he helped to plant in Thessaloniki and to think through the wisdom and the instruction. And there's no way we can attribute these words to just a simple man. Even the Apostle Paul cannot take credit for these words. These words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word that was written for God's people. And it's amazing to me to stop and think this very well may be his very first letter. And we're told if you look in, you don't have to turn there now, but in the book of Acts chapter 17, we learn about this experience where Paul went to Thessaloniki and planted this church. And he was only able to spend about three weeks in the city. He taught the gospel and many believed in Jesus and this new church sprung up. And immediately the enemies of the gospel began to spread lies about Paul and his co-workers. And the lies that they spread were that because the Christians claimed that Jesus was Lord, that they were trying to subvert Caesar and the emperor of Rome. So this persecution forced Paul and his associates to escape the city only three weeks after this church being started. And they escaped and went to the city of Berea. The people found out that that's where they were in a close by city and they sent people there to stir up the, the government officials in the city against them. So they had to leave that city and, and flee somewhere else. So this is the setting of this book came through this church plant where God basically sent revival to the city. And these people that were pagan worshipers and these Jews who were worshiping the one true God but did not know about Jesus, he shared the gospel and many, many people gave their lives to Christ. And we would consider this an amazing work. Imagine me being in Asheville for three weeks and this place having standing room only, uh, people just no room to park the cars up and down the streets. That's what was happening in the city. So it was this great work, but there was much persecution that rose up. But Paul being separated from this very young church was incredibly concerned. So Timothy and probably a few of the other associates ended up traveling back to the city and they brought a report back to the apostle Paul that the city was actually doing great, that the church in the city was actually doing incredible. So that's what prompted Paul to write this letter to the church uh, at Thessaloniki. So in this letter, Paul celebrates their faithfulness and thanks God, thanks God for all that he has done in this church and for them staying true to the gospel. Even through great suffering, he talks to them about their common suffering because Paul is suffering. Paul's going through great persecution, great tribulation. And so he's writing to them about standing in this persecution. And he encourages them to live holy lives and to be hard workers, to be an example through their hard work, to be generous with what God has blessed them with and to show love for one another. 
And he reminds them in the middle of their suffering that Jesus is going to return. Now, there were false teachers in the city and in this early church that began to teach that Jesus had already come back. And the people were concerned about their loved ones, the ones that had died. They didn't know if they had missed out. They didn't know if they had been left behind. And there was a lot of false teaching springing up around the return of Christ. And Paul reminds them that Jesus is returning. He hasn't come yet, but he is going to return and we will be with him forever. And he tells them in chapter four, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with the fact that Jesus is returning and he's going to set everything right in this world. And we're going to be with him forever. We also see in this book that there are three prayers, uh, probably more than that, but three main prayers that divide the sections in First Thessalonians that emphasizes the importance of prayer in the life of believers and the importance of us giving thanks to God. And I think this is the most important factor to consider when we look at this verse that we're going to study this morning. The man that is writing this verse is probably the man who has suffered more than anyone ever has for his faith. As a matter of fact, before he was saved, he was persecuting the church. And when he trusted in Christ, Paul told uh, the man that was sent, Ananias, that was sent to uh, give him his, lay hands on him, give him his sight back and encourage him. He was worried about doing this because Paul was the persecutor of the church. And he told him, I'm going to show him how great things he will suffer for the cause of Christ. So Paul knew going into his new faith, his new ministry, his new calling on his life, that he was going to suffer great things. So the man that's writing these words to the church of the Thessalonians and who's writing this letter through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at large and ultimately to us today, almost 2000 years later, the man that's writing these words is a man who knew something about suffering and for him to say, give thanks in everything that should hit us differently than someone who's flying around in a jet, riding around in a Rolls Royce, walking the red carpet, living a life of luxury. When someone like that says in everything, give thanks, you're like, yeah, okay. Get back to me when you've gone through some difficult times. But when we hear it from Paul, when we hear Paul say in everything, give thanks, it should hit us in a little bit of a different way and it should carry a weight because Paul modeled a life of gratitude in the middle of difficult circumstances. Sometime after this point, towards the end of his ministry, he wrote from a prison cell, I've learned that in whatever circumstances I find myself in, I can be content and I can give thanks. So with that in mind, we set the context. Now I want us to look at the command, this short verse that is so profound that I believe every one of us could leave here this morning with an entirely different outlook on life, with an entirely different focus on our lives. And I understand that this morning I'm in a room full of people who have suffered. I'm in a room full of people who have gone through great difficulty, great disappointment, even times of maybe disillusionment 
in our Christian lives where we're just like, is this even real? Can we trust God in light of the ones that I've lost, in light of my hopes that have been dashed, in light of things that I expected that never happened? Can I trust God? Well, I want to read this command for us this morning. Paul means what he says. And I believe the Holy Spirit, God himself, means what he says when he gives us this command. In everything, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Let's look at the first word, in. This word is instruction for us during our time of suffering. The verse I read this morning from the life of Job, Job models that. The Apostle Paul models that. This is not something that we are called to do after the fact when we can look back and see how everything worked out for our good and for God's glory where one day, okay, I'll get there. No, he says in, in the middle of, during your trials, when you can't see, when the storm is, is raging all around you, in that circumstance, give thanks. And notice in this passage of scripture, he does not say for everything, give thanks. There's a difference in giving thanks for something and giving thanks in something. I can go through something that I hate, something that I never wanted to happen in my life. I never wanted to experience something that I cannot even imagine how to work up gratitude for what's happening. But I can give thanks in what is happening even when I can't figure out how to give thanks for what is happening. In suffering, we give thanks. So what can we give thanks for in the suffering? Even if we can't find a way to give thanks for what's happening, what can we thank God for in that difficult circumstance? I believe that inside of each circumstance, we need to realize that there are some overarching truths that define our reality. My feelings, my circumstances do not get to define my reality. There are some overarching truths that no matter how bad life gets, we can hold on to hope that these things are a reality regardless of what season we're in in life. The first thing is that God is in control. I can give thanks in every circumstance for the fact that God is in control. Now, I'm, I may not be able to see that he's in control. I probably can't. I may not be able to understand why this could happen or how he could overrule this and work this out for my good and for his glory. But I can cling to the truth that we see in scripture that God is in control. Think back to the story of Job. Think about the Apostle Paul. How could they go through such great suffering and never lose their integrity, never lose hope in God? They understood that God is in control. 
God's control is not dependent upon my understanding. It's not dependent upon my feelings. It's dependent upon his character and who he is. I can give thanks in everything because I know that God is in control. I can give thanks in everything because I know there is a purpose. God does not waste anything. He does not waste suffering. Nothing is an accident. Nothing happens outside of God's knowledge, outside of God's overarching will. Yes, sin happens. Yes, things happen that grieve the heart of God in our lives. But nothing happens that God says, oh, I don't know what to do about that. Or, oh, I didn't see that coming. Everything falls under his providence, his control, his will. And we can know that there is a purpose for every single thing. We can see it in other people's lives. Think about Joseph, one of my favorite Bible characters, one of my favorite studies to look at Joseph in the Old Testament, he was blessed, incredibly favored by God, by his father. His brothers were jealous of him. It seemed like everything was going great in his life. He knew he was destined for greatness. God gave him dreams. God gave him incredible gifts. But what happened? Tragedy. His brothers almost killed him, sold him off as a slave. He ends up going away for 15 years being a slave, being thrown in prison, being forgotten. And yet, every single step of the way, including the location of where he ended up, including a famine that he never could have foreseen, including saving his brothers who betrayed him, including thousands of years later, we look at his life and we see a picture of Jesus who laid his life down to save his brothers. All of God's providence is put on display that he's in control, that there is a purpose in suffering. We can see it in his life. We can see it in David's life. David was anointed king then for 15 years, 17 years. He runs from Saul, almost losing his life. You can read his prayers in the Psalms. Read the story in, in, in the book of Samuel and Kings and see all the things that he went through. We have the privilege of Standing on the other side, looking back and seeing God and his word connect all the dots for us. But in our lives, we don't get that. It feels like an accident. It feels like a mistake. It feels like something went wrong. Like maybe I had faith in the wrong thing. And every genuine Christian will reach a point where they look at their lives and they think, is this even real? Can God be trusted? Does he even know me? Does he care? Is he there? People in scripture, some of the greatest saints reached places like that. Job himself asked some incredibly difficult questions of God and God allowed it. But while we can't look back and see all the connecting dots in our life, while we don't see the front of the tapestry that shows the beautiful picture, we're behind it. And we see all the little threads and it looks like chaos and we don't understand this season of our life. We can still hold to the truth and the fact that God is in control, that there is a purpose, that suffering is temporary and that there will be justice. God is the judge of all the earth. Abraham told, told God, 
Will, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Yes, he will. He will set everything right. Not in our time, not how we expected, but there will be justice. We can hold on to that truth. And we can hold on to the truth that it will result in our good. This horrible, horrible thing that's happened to me in my past or going on right now. This incredible disappointment. This, this season that I cannot believe I'm going through. I don't know if I'm going to survive. I can hold on to the truth that it will result in good for me. And ultimately, God will be glorified. All things work together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purposes. Everything that happens will result in God being glorified. We see this at the cross. When Jesus was crucified for our sins, the Roman soldiers that were cursing him, that were beating him, that were whipping him, they were sinning. Yet they were accomplishing God's eternal plan of Christ being a sacrifice on the cross. The elders of Israel, the religious leaders, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, they sinned. They, they did horrible things that in and of themselves, they were outside of God's specific will for their lives. They were disobeying God. Yet God's overarching will was accomplished in spite of their sin, in spite of their disobedience. When we look at the cross, we're reminded that all things work together for good because nothing will ever happen to us in our lives worse than what happened to Jesus. Nothing. Yet that is what bought my salvation. That's the greatest thing that ever happened for this world was the worst thing that we could ever imagine. The greatest sin could not stop God's eternal plan of salvation. What Satan means for evil in your life, God intends for good. And he will accomplish our good and his glory. So we see that in everything, this word is intentional, in everything, in this passage, even if you can't give thanks for it, in this season, give thanks for who God is, for the truths, for the promises of God's word. And in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is speaking to brand new Christians in one of his very first letters. But in the book of Ephesians, we're not going to turn there this morning, but I challenge you to go look at it at some point. In the book of Ephesians, Paul adds to this thought of giving thanks in everything. And Paul spent over two years in the city of Ephesus, ministering, building this church, discipling. And he had been gone for years and he writes the letter of Ephesians back to the church when this church had had seven to ten years to grow and mature in their faith. Do you know what he writes to the Ephesians? It's a little bit different than what he says in 1 Thessalonians to this brand new church, these immature believers, in his first letter. In one of his last letters, when he is in prison writing back to the Ephesians, he says, giving thanks always for everything. I want to be extremely transparent with you this morning. 
I was very excited about preaching in everything, give thanks. And making the point that that doesn't mean I have to give thanks for everything. But the more I studied, he clearly says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what truth I believe, here's the truth that I think we can get out of this this morning. When we've walked with God, when we've grown in our faith, when we've matured as believers and seen God work the impossible in our lives, like the Ephesians had, we can look back and thank him for the bad things that have happened because we can see the good that he's brought and the glory that he's brought. And the closer we get to him, the more we grow into not only giving thanks in this season, but giving thanks for it. I can do this in my life. I can look back at some of my greatest seasons of suffering and see what incredible things God did in my life through that. And I can give thanks for everything. It's not easy. And there are times where I'm like, Lord, I, I can't give thanks for that. I don't know how to give thanks for that. And don't fake it. Be honest with him. He knows your heart anyway. But I do believe a day is coming. If we walk with the Lord, if we trust in him, we'll be able to look back through a mature faith, through an experience, through a gnosko knowledge, as I taught on a few weeks ago, a knowledge that experiences him, that knows him intimately. And we can give thanks for the things that we never thought we could give thanks for. So he says, in everything. And in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, the same author that's writing 1 Thessalonians, gives us a list, not a comprehensive list, but a, a, a very long list of some of the everythings that we have to experience in our lives. Some of you are going to be familiar with this passage of Scripture. The first thing that he tells us that the early church was going through, that he was writing to them to give thanks in and to give thanks for, was tribulation. This is when we're crushed, when we're pressed together, squashed. When we have pressure on us and trouble pressing on us that we don't think we can endure. Great affliction, great tribulation. This word tribulation translated in our English Bibles is a strong term that does not ever, it's not ever used to refer to minor inconveniences. Tribulations are incredible hardships that we go through. That's some of the everything that we can give thanks in. The tribulation. He also talks about distress. This is how we feel after we go through tribulation. Tribulation leads to this feeling of distress. It's the, the original Greek word talks about being in a narrow space, a tight space that's closing in on you. And it's the distress that rises up in our hearts, anguish, discomfort, because of the persecution 
or because of the tribulation that's happened to us. And then another thing that he tells us we can be thankful for is persecution, which lets us know that there is an enemy that's intentionally doing this to us. Not only Satan, but also other people who put us in tribulation, distress, persecution. This world system, this cosmos that is against God, the culture many times persecutes us. It's an act of the enemy. He says famine, which can refer to a literal hunger or an emotional, a spiritual hunger. It's a season of need where we are starved either of food or of maybe hope, maybe love, maybe a joy in our life. There are seasons we go through where we can't seem to find joy. It's a season of famine. He says we can give thanks in that. Nakedness, slaughter, death. And then he says in life. It's understandable that he would say in death, you can you can still give thanks. But in life. That doesn't seem to go there with persecution, tribulation, trial, death, slaughter. Death and life. One theologian wrote these words, but life, ah, life is so much more difficult than death. Life with its burdens, its bitterness, its disappointments, its uncertainty, often with its physical miseries. As Job said, my soul chooseth strangling and death rather than these my bones. Have you ever been there? It seemed like death would be easier than the season you're going through. Or I think there's another application for this. Maybe it's a season of everything going great in your life. You know what usually happens in those seasons? We forget about God. We forget about our need of him. So he's saying in persecution, famine, nakedness, slaughter, death, life. Then he talks about. Angels, principalities, things present, things to come, height, depth, or any other created thing. These are the things the early church was going through. They're the things we go through. And these are the everything that Paul is talking about that we can give thanks in. But I want to read the context in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 down through verse 39 of how Paul used these everythings that happened to us in our life. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Here's the context. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. This is why we can give thanks in and for everything. 
For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can give thanks because no season, no suffering can separate us from God's love. And this life is just a brief mist. It's a vapor and it's disappointments and its suffering and its trials will be forgotten one day or maybe not forgotten but they will be viewed through the lens of God's goodness and his grace and we'll look back and see it all worked out for our glory or for his glory and for our good nothing can separate us from his love so he says in that word matters in everything fill in the blank What are you going through in everything? Give thanks. I thought it was interesting that the word gratitude comes from the same Greek word as grace. God gives us grace and we give him gratitude. Someone defined grace as any movement of God towards mankind other than wrath. Wrath is what we deserve. Judgment is what we deserve. Any movement of God towards us that's not wrath judgment and punishment is grace this morning is grace the sunshine is grace our friends our family the opportunity to meet together in freedom to sing songs god's safety god's protection he gives us grace and we give him thanks we talk about saying grace before a meal what are we doing We're giving thanks, giving gratitude for the grace that he has shown us, for his blessings. And if we experience the grace of God, we ought to be people who are grateful for what God gives us. We breathe in his grace and we breathe out praise. It's this rhythm in our life where we breathe in his gifts, his grace, and we just breathe out praise it should be our natural response just like breathing the word thank and think also come from the same root word warren wearsby said if we would think more we would thank more if we truly think god's thoughts whatsoever things are good honest pure just true trustworthy think on these things Think the thoughts of God. Why is it important to read his word every morning, to get it in our heart, to wash ourselves and to pray and to think through the thoughts of God? Because if we truly think, thanks will come out. The Hebrew word for thanks that we see most common in the Old Testament is yada. And it literally means to cast praise. You hear about the, the elders and the, and the uh, ones that were saved by the blood of the Lamb in the book of Revelation bowing down before his thrones and casting their crowns at his feet. It's this image of we cast praise. It's the same word that is used to, that means admit, to admit something. So to give thanks is literally to just admit the truth. 
to admit the reality. Yes, times are bad, but God is still good. God's still in control. He's working all things together for my good. So when I admit the truth, it comes out as thanks. Not just saying the words, but coming from a heart that no matter what the circumstances are, God has a plan. He's in control. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And his promises are true. I remember as a child learning that certain sentences in the, in the English language have an understood, uh, an understood word that it's not in the sentence, but it's understood that it's there. There's an understood in this passage. Who do we give thanks to? As you read the writings of Paul over 30 times, when he talks in his books, which throughout almost every page of his writings, when he talks about giving thanks, thanks, it's not obvious in this passage, the word's not there, but in almost every other passage, he says that we give thanks to God. And it's almost so understood that I shouldn't even have to say it this morning. But we don't need to forget about this. All good things come from God. He is the God of all grace. As we pour out gratitude to him in every season for the things that happen that draw us closer to him. Charles Spurgeon said he praises God for the waves that dash him upon the rocks of God's goodness. Yes, it's painful, but I can give thanks in that because it brings me closer to him. So in everything, give thanks. And in case we don't believe it, in case we're like, okay, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't know if that's really meant for me. And I don't know if it means that everything that I'm going through, in case we don't understand it, he says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Just as a reminder, we're told that it is God's will for us to give thanks in all things. A lot of Christians spend a lot of their time looking for God's will and searching for God's will. And I think we should do that. There's, there's situations where taking a job, moving to a city, you better believe before we moved here, we prayed a whole lot. Lord, this is crazy. Are you sure we're not crazy? Is this your will for our lives? So praying about specific things that you can't open the Bible and turn to a passage and say, yes, God wants you to move to Asheville. But there are many places in scripture where God clearly says, this is my will. And this is one of those places. The specific places I could find was God tells us it's his will to give thanks in all things, to suffer for him and for our faith, to love God and to love others. It's his will for us to be sanctified, to be holy, to be set apart for his will. And to avoid the works of the flesh. Those are things that we absolutely know. This is God's will for my life. And ultimately, all scripture is God revealing his will for us. It, as long as it's a verse that's in context. Don't pull some random verse, some promise out of the Old Testament that was written to someone else at a different time in a different context and say, this is for me. 
God's going to give me 15 more years of life because he said that to Hezekiah. No, that, that may not be a promise for you. Probably not. But the things that God commands us in his word, we know that's his will for our life. It's his will for us to obey. He reveals his will in scripture. So our focus should not be on the secret or the hidden will of God. Those things matter, but our focus should be on the revealed will of God. How? <laughs> what do you think it looks like from God's perspective for us to disregard his revealed will and then pray and ask him to show us something that's his will when we're not doing what he's already showed us? If we're not giving thanks in everything, why would we obey God's will if he did reveal it to us in another area of our lives? If we're not obeying what he's already given us. So for our application this morning, as I close. One application. Our faith, not our feelings. Our faith drives our gratitude. Our faith drives our gratitude. My feelings don't drive the gratitude. My circumstances, my faith drives my gratitude. So we have a choice to make this morning. And the choice, which is it's a matter of obedience, the choice can alter our experience in life. It can alter our focus. So we can focus this morning on what we lack or we can choose to focus on what we have. So let's think about how we feel when we focus on what we lack. Every one of us has prayers that God has not answered in specific ways yet. All of us have desires of our hearts that we haven't fully experienced. We have concerns. We have loved ones that we're praying for. So when we focus on what we lack, here's how we feel. It can make us feel inferior. Think about looking at someone else that has something that you want. You can feel like you're less than because you don't have what you want, what you need, what feels so important. And what may be this incredible gift of God, but he hasn't chosen to bless us with yet. In a season of great suffering, when we focus on what we lack, it can make us feel inferior. That's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. We are not any less because of what we lack. It just simply means we're trusting on God's timing. We're, we're trusting in him. We're waiting. Maybe it means that we're submitting to a possible no answer. Sometimes God's answers are, no, not for this season, not for now. But when we focus on what we lack, we feel inferior. We can feel overwhelmed. It's, it's all we can see. We can have a million blessings and all we see is this one thing that we lack. And it can overshadow and overwhelm every area of our life. I've been there. I've been in that season. But that's a lie. From the enemy, we should not feel overwhelmed. We shouldn't feel 
depressed, like life is worthless, like everything is dark. It shouldn't lead us to complaining, to finding fault in everything because we're so focused on what we don't have that everything becomes negative in our lives and we forget to give thanks for the million things that God's blessed us with. And we should never feel victimized. Ultimately, when we focus on what we lack, we feel like victims, like we've been cheated. But the truth is, God's given every single one of us better than we deserve. Every single one of us are recipients of God's grace. Yes, we lack things. Yes, we have needs. Yes, we pray and beg God and seek him. And he tells us to do that. But we can't focus on our lack to the extent that we feel victimized. That life's out to get us. That life isn't fair. That others have it better than we do. I believe from everybody's perspective, someone else has it better than you. But if you were in their story, it may blow your mind how good you've got it. Because the blessings that you see many times shadow the greatest hurt, the greatest need, the greatest suffering in their lives. However, when we focus on what we have, what we've been given, God's blessing in our lives, we can feel satisfied even when we don't have everything we want, even when we don't feel like we have everything we need, even in the middle of the darkest chapter of our life, we can have a supernatural satisfaction that says, Jesus is enough. He's all I need, no matter what I'm experiencing. We can feel confident that it may not even make sense to other people. But we have a confidence in who God is, in his goodness, and his providence, and his control, and his love for us. That we know he could give it to us in a second. He could give us everything we want, everything our hearts desired. He can answer that prayer immediately. I can hold on to that. I can have confidence. And if he's not, there's a reason for it. I may not see it. I may not understand it. I may not like it. And I usually don't. But I can be confident in the middle of a season of doubt. Sure, I doubt everything around me. I even doubt myself. But I have confidence in him. When we focus on what we have, we can feel a joy, a happiness, a peace. We can remain positive when the whole world is negative around us. And we can realize that we're very blessed. When we give thanks, we admit that we have so much better than we deserve. And we trust God to supply our needs. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would meet us in the moment of our need, the moment of our doubt, the circumstances, the middle of our storms. God, allow the truth of your word that has just been spoken over us to plant deep in our hearts this morning. And when we don't see it, when we don't understand it, help us to know that you're 
ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Even as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your thoughts and your ways higher than our ways and our thoughts. Lord, help our faith to grow this morning. Help our unbelief draw us closer to you.